What's up, you guys? Welcome back to Indirect Message. I'm Lacey Green. Apologies for the brief delay in episodes. I have had some big life things happening, but I wanted to let you guys know that this coming year, content-wise, I'm going to be focusing almost exclusively on this podcast rather than YouTube videos. I did both uh, consistently for about a year, maybe a year and a half, and I've just decided that podcasting is just where I'm at right now. I love these conversations. I love talking to you guys more in depth about stuff. I also just love that podcasting is decentralized and I don't need to rely on daddy Google. So that's coming down the pipeline 2022, baby, if you can believe it. Oh, one more thing. I'm going to um, do a little more narrative style podcasting, you know, a little storytelling rather than just straight interview. We'll see how it goes. All right, let's get into it. It happened seemingly overnight. At some point in 2019, TikTok videos were literally everywhere. On Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even YouTube. All watermarked with that iconic Music Note logo. Fast forward to 2021 and TikTok has now been downloaded nearly 3 billion times. It's growing four times faster than Facebook and YouTube did. And despite being only a few years old, users already spend more time on TikTok than they do on YouTube. And yet, TikTok itself is kind of mysterious. It's the first social media giant to come out of China, which is worth a pause. China's internet is some of the most aggressively censored in the world. Experts place it on par with North Korea, though obviously more widely available. The Chinese Communist Party, also known as the CCP, carefully monitors their citizens' social media use. And the government's sophisticated technology regularly disappears websites, conversations, and even people that it finds undesirable. Perhaps unsurprisingly, China imprisons more people for their internet speech than any other country in the world. And that includes journalists. So that leaves some pretty formidable shadows towering over TikTok as they claw their way to social media domination. Today, let's pull back the curtain to look at what makes TikTok different as an app and try to parse out the political noise about it from legitimate causes for concern. Chapter 1. The Ultimate Slot Machine On the surface, TikTok's global popularity is obvious. It serves up short, entertaining videos to a generation with frazzled attention spans. The barrier to entry is low, too. Anyone can make a video in a matter of seconds. No fancy cameras or microphones required. TikTok has done an amazing job of breaking down the barrier of entry for online content creators, has enabled a lot of people who didn't necessarily have the opportunity to jump into the online space. But perhaps most of popularity is like other apps. TikTok quietly sucks us in to the endless scroll. The first time I used TikTok, I was sucked into a video about making the perfect cup of coffee. Then came the videos of weird gadgets to make said coffee, and how coffee beans are properly roasted. Here we have the green beans. This is the way we receive them from the farmer. This is after we've roasted them after about a 21-minute process. 
Before I knew it, a half hour had gone by. It was like I'd been hypnotized. And secretly, I liked it. Of course, much has been said about how addictive social media is. Once we log in, we keep coming back mindlessly over and over and over for our dopamine hit. Like a bunch of junkies. But TikTok somehow manages to be even more addictive than other apps. How do they do it? The short answer is that TikTok gets to know you really well, and it does it really fast, in just two hours. The more detailed answer is that TikTok has built a sort of super algorithm that's based on the most powerful elements of 17 other apps, all owned by their parent company, ByteDance. Today, TikTok's algorithm is so sophisticated that the people who made it don't even fully understand it. Which is hugely horrifying. It was kind of like a scales dropping in my eyes moment. Like it was, it was, it was the moment basically that turned me into a massive tech skeptic. This is Chris Stokelwalker. He's a journalist who did a multi-year investigation into TikTok, all reported in his book, TikTok Boom. So TikTok is predicated on this thing called the content graph rather than the social graph. So a lot of other social media platforms rely on what people who are like you or what people who you are friends with interact with to then show you content. TikTok instead focuses very much on the content that you personally engage with. As you scroll, TikTok precisely measures down to the millisecond how long you watched each video and what frame caused you to swipe next. It tracks the themes of each video you watched, whether you rewatched it and how many times. Once it's found something you like, they drip slight variations into your feed so that it can map out the contours of who you are and what keeps you scrolling. Which is why one person's feed might be full of craft videos and another's full of, well, butts. Um, there was a, a UK parliamentary hearing and this member of parliament, this politician, was very aggressively questioning this TikTok representative about why TikTok was showing users lots of videos of women's butts. Just at that moment, he kind of like outed himself. <laughs> but where TikTok starts to diverge even further from American social media is in how people get famous. On TikTok, almost anybody can become an overnight viral sensation. At number 10, we have Dixie D'Amelio with 52.4 million followers and 3 billion likes. I grew my literally 30 million followers plus in a matter of nine months. On TikTok, every single video gets seen by a small test audience. And then it goes out to bigger and bigger audiences if people engage with it. Compare this to YouTube and Facebook, where videos go viral based in part on how many views a person already has. So in a way... The rich get richer on Facebook and YouTube. The more followers you have, the more followers you get. Kind of like America itself. Whereas on TikTok, everyone gets an equal assessment, which produces a lot more one-hit wonders. More collectivist, you might say. Kind of like China. I think this approach could foster more fairness and creativity. But smart people have argued that this is also part of TikTok's addictiveness. It gives more people a little taste of fame and attention, and that keeps us churning out videos in the pursuit of the next rush. Chapter two, hiding the bodies. In China, beauty standards are fierce. I couldn't say if it's worse than the US, but it could be. 
While American media has somewhat embraced the push for more body diversity, China has remained steadfast in its pale, young, and thin ideals. China is also in the middle of a major plastic surgery boom. In early 2000, the majority of the marketing was done offline, just traditional advertising on the streets. Um, but then in the recent past few years, we've seen lots of vertical integrated mobile phone apps being advanced in the market. Experts point to popular cosmetic surgery apps, like Jang Mai, that scans pictures of your face and body to give it a score. Then the app shows what your post-surgery body could look like. You can book the procedures with a single swipe, as simple as ordering takeout. TikTok is nowhere near as aggressive as Jang Mai, but like all social media, the ways that we're conditioned to see ourselves and others through these apps isn't always realistic. The Chinese version of TikTok, which is called Du Yin, automatically applies a skin whitening filter to anybody that uses it, which might seem kind of strange to Americans who use creams and sunbeds to get the opposite effect, a sun-kissed tan. But in many countries around the world, skin whitening is common. It's an ancient ideal that emerged to look more like the wealthy who didn't have to work out in the sun all day. The pale ideal was further exported around the world through colonization, and slavery. Instagram and Snapchat are also creating digital worlds under layers of filters in Photoshop. But what's unusual is that TikTok also tightly controlled what kind of faces and bodies get to be seen on the app. Chris's investigation turned up proof that they were actively hiding people with disabilities and other physical traits. Here's the list of traits that moderators were instructed to hide. Ugly facial looks a disformatted face, lack of front teeth, senior people with too many wrinkles, obvious facial scars, abnormal body shapes, people who are chubby, people who are obese, or people who are too thin. TikTok also sought to promote videos from people who looked wealthy. They suppressed videos that were shot with dilapidated backgrounds or rural fields. They recently claimed to have stopped this. Is this something to be concerned about? Almost certainly. But at least as far as beauty biases go, it's also true that among the influencer crowd, you're gonna find conventionally attractive people way overrepresented there. And to our knowledge, that's not because Facebook or YouTube are engineering it that way. So one point of view might be that TikTok's policy was just ruthless marketing. But the deliberate exclusion of people who look different, whose bodies work differently, strikes me as incredibly malicious. Chris admits it's not a good look, but he argues that this is more about East-West cultural differences than malice. Like anecdotally, it seems like there is much more of a body consciousness there. TikTok kind of fessed up to this, essentially. You know, when they were confronted by these guidelines, they said, well, this was back then. This was drawn up by people who didn't have a cultural understanding of what isn't, isn't acceptable in the West. And it has changed. Like I've seen more recent content moderation guidelines that you know, don't cover that stuff. Um, and it just shows you kind of like how different TikTok is to all the other tech that we've interacted with in our lives, which has generally come from a super small parcel of land in Silicon Valley with all of the kind of cultural ideals that that comes with. Do you make a social media app that meets the sensibilities of cultures all over the world? Is it possible? 
And what happens when we throw the oversight of a government that's openly hostile to free speech into the mix? Chapter 3. Psychological Warfare In late 2019, 17-year-old Feroza Aziz woke up one morning to find herself suspended from her TikTok account. It was right right after I posted about the Uyghurs, so I thought it was very suspicious that right when I speak about it on a Chinese app that it's taken down. Once she was back into her account, Aziz got creative. This time, she couched her message in a video that looked like a makeup tutorial. Hi guys, so I'm going to teach you guys how to get long lashes. So the first thing you need to do is grab your lash curler, curl your lashes, obviously. Then you're going to put them down and use your phone that you're using right now to search up what's happening in China, how they're getting concentration camps, throwing innocent Muslims in there, separating their families from each other, kidnapping them, murdering them, raping them, forcing them to eat pork, forcing them to drink, forcing them to convert different religions. People that go into these concentration camps, they'll come back alive. This is another Holocaust, yet no one is talking about it. So you can grab your lash curler again. The video slid under TikTok moderator's radar and quickly went viral, racking up millions of views before they noticed what had happened. And when they finally did, they suspended her again and deleted all their videos. I'm not scared of TikTok even after the suspension. I won't be scared of TikTok. It's not just China's human rights abuses that TikTok has been caught censoring. During the George Floyd protests last year, users noticed that the hashtag Black Lives Matter and hashtag George Floyd meant the video would get zero views. TikTok later claimed it was a glitch. In conservative countries, Videos discussing gender and sexuality are also actively hidden, so as not to make waves with foreign governments and regulators. Many of the topics that get censored on TikTok happen to be topics that the CCP censors as well, which is why a lot of people have been asking, how much control over TikTok does the CCP have exactly? And this has fueled a cascade of political spats. We're looking at TikTok. We may be banning TikTok. We may be doing some other things. There are a couple of options, but a lot of things are happening. So we'll see what happens. But Rumors that TikTok was some kind of Chinese spyware rippled through America. But so far, the proof of this spyware business is pretty sparse. I haven't been able yet to find the, the red bat phone that connects Xi Jinping with ByteDance executives. Doesn't mean that it definitely doesn't exist. It could just be that I haven't found it yet and my colleagues haven't found it yet, but we have been trying quite hard. I'm not going to turn down the exclusive a lifetime. President Biden also opened an investigation into TikTok. Still no smoking guns. In the meantime, TikTok repeats over and over again to American media that they are not controlled by the CCP that TikTok would never remove videos at their request or turn over user data. I asked Chris if we should trust what they say. I, well, I don't, I don't trust what they say. So for instance, TikTok have previously given off the impression that they never send any user data to China, which is a lie. It's a white lie because what they do is they, they don't send user data en masse um, to China, but they do have a very, very strong engineering base in China to kind of like keep the app working and to develop new features, they need to send chunks of like user data at times. If they were totally transparent with it, then you would have some people saying, aha, so you do send stuff to China while overlooking that they were being open about it. Part of it is that I think they are damned if they do and damned if they don't to a certain extent. 
What piques my curiosity about TikTok to begin with isn't necessarily the fact that they have all this information about us. The concern and question is how that information and how the increasingly aggressive AI that gathered that information could be weaponized. I like to think this isn't just, you know, sort of Black Mirror-style paranoia, because a milder version of this has already happened on Facebook. In the Cambridge Analytica scandal, 87 million people had their data harvested by none other than a stupid online quiz. Their data, and all their friends' data, was then used to bolster Trump and Brexit political campaigns. My name is Christopher Wiley. I'm a data scientist, and I helped set up Cambridge Analytica. It's something that I regret. It's incorrect to call Cambridge Analytica a, a purely sort of data science company or an algorithm. It is a full-service propaganda machine. You want to fight a war, you want to win a war, you need weapons for that. You wanted cultural weapons, and we could, we could build them for him. You get all this money and you've got a billionaire breathing down your neck going, why don't I have it yet? I've just given you tens of millions of dollars and like, where's my psychological warfare weapon? If you can control all of the streams of information, around your opponent can then influence how they're going to behave and react. If you were a friend of somebody who used the app, you would have no idea that I've just pulled all of your data. Things like status updates, likes, in some cases private messages, that gets then sent to a targeting team, which then, you know, injects it into the internet. Websites will be created, blogs will be created, whatever it is that we think this target profile will be receptive to. We will create content for them to find. And then they see that and they click it and they go down the rabbit hole until they start to think something differently. The question in the aftermath of Cambridge Analytica in the US was, well, how do we prevent this from happening again? Legal proceedings followed the scandal and Facebook got a $5 billion fine they started making internal changes. But that entire process depends on democracy and accountability, which doesn't exist in China. On this matter, Chris offered me a point of consolation. I like to think that we're kind of more conscious of the potential issues, and so we're more willing to hold feet to the fire. I like to think we're not sleepwalking into this in the same way that we slept walked into Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. The fact that some of us are having this conversation is definitely a testament to growing awareness. But I guess I just wonder, is awareness really enough? Enough to keep TikTok and other major platforms on the side of people and democracy? After all, sleepwalkers don't realize it when they're sleepwalking. If you're listening in on YouTube, do let me know your thoughts in the comments below. And a big thanks to Chris for helping me with this episode. His book, TikTok Boom, is packed with interesting information on this topic if you'd like to learn more. Thanks for joining me, guys. I'll see you again soon. Mm -hmm.